This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. I'm here on Saturdays talking about the disease of addiction, substance abuse, and the road to recovery. The whole thing is sponsored by the good people at Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and we will have more about them specifically straight ahead. Uh, t- today, we, uh, we're going to take a look at uh, anxiety, and why not? Because um, there's a lot of it going around. In, in, we're going to take a general look at anxiety because it is a normal part of being a human being to feel anxious. It's perfectly uh, appropriate under certain circumstances. Uh, when it becomes a problem, uh, when it interferes with your life, when it uh, stops you from enjoying yourself or doing your job or engaging in loving relationships, then you've got yourself a, a, a disorder, as a matter of fact. And uh, we're going to take a look at anxiety. As I said, in a general sense, because we all suffer from it to various degrees, but then certainly in a specific uh, category of how it relates, what's the correlation to substance abuse and anxiety. Um, shouldn't surprise anybody that if you are struggling with drugs or alcohol, that you're going to have uh, an issue with anxiety. To that end, we are um, really happy to have our old pal Kate Ramsey with us. Kate has not only been a contributor to this program, but she's also been a substitute host, and we are always grateful for that. Hello, Kate. How are you? Good morning. I'm really glad to be here with you, Steve. Can you uh, fill us in? First of all, it's been a while since um, we last spoke. You were, I know you as a therapist uh, here at Retreat, but uh, you've had a change, right? Yes. Since last we spoke, I'm now one of the clinical supervisors. We are really doing some exciting, creative changes with all of Retreat, uh, really working from a team based concept and really trying to improve everything we do for our patients. And I get to be a part of constructing that. And you know, I love creative things. So it's really good to be part of this now. And you're making the big bucks, right? Oh, of course. That goes without saying. Now making the big bucks. <laughs> uh, so, so, Kate, did I, uh, be, let's get started on whether or not my, my premise is correct here. Now, before we started here today, I said to you that certainly true that at any point in history people have walked around going wow things are really bad this is the most anxious and angst-filled period in the history of mankind and um certainly we feel like that that today um am i overstating it or are we in some kind of golden age of anxiety right now you know i think that human beings with our incredible brains have the capacity to create and invent things that we then simply don't know how to handle. I think we've created a world that is now moving at such an intense speed that we, as the human beings that we are, cannot keep up with all the digital excitement that is going on around us. And I do think that it it adds to what is a natural human emotion, anxiety. We do have this generalized anxiety. I think right now it's, did I miss something? Is something going on? Where have I been? What do I have to do? Because we're constantly checking in, checking in. But, you know, there's been other times. The Inquisition was probably pretty anxiety-provoking <laughs> as well. So I think it's, it's something that's very much part of human nature and human history. What do you see from a clinician's standpoint um, with regard to to uh, to anxiety as a general condition? Is has it has it heightened in your in the context of, of uh, clinical work for treating substance abuse? 
Absolutely. I think what we're seeing, and we see many more mental health diagnoses today, I think what we're seeing is that anxiety especially is driving use. We're in a culture right now that because we need uh, two parents out working all the time, kids are going this way, that way, the other way, we're not learning the same kind of coping skills mm. that we may have learned, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And so kids are trying to grab onto anything that helps them feel better. And unfortunately, drugs do that. Mm. I mean, anybody that comes home after work and has a drink to unwind knows that. But if you are someone who has the genetic predisposition towards alcoholism or addiction, and this is where you turn, you're, you'll be off to the races before you even know what hit you. You made a couple of terrific points there. Certainly, as you say, 100 years ago, we had different ways of coping with it. One was ignorance. The cliche is ignorance is bliss, and, yeah. and there's a lot of truth, obviously, in that we weren't aware of it. Now, now we are aware of every abnormality or anxiety-producing event everywhere all the time. And I think it's really important to point out, and you've already stated this, but anxiety is a healthy emotion. All of our emotions, anger, anxiety, joy, sadness, all of it is there for us to get signals. Hey, something's not right or something's really right. Mm. Anxiety is just the way our mind, body, spirit tells us something's off and we need to do something about it. What happens, though, is we get stuck on this one emotion. And then what we call generalized anxiety disorder, we're constantly stressed. That feeling of when's the other shoe going to drop never goes away. And we just keep waiting for something awful to happen. And, you know, part of this can be uh, a genetic predisposition to anxiety, but we're also living in an age of terrorism. Mm -hmm. We don't know when someone might come in and shoot up a school or an office building. So there are very valid reasons sure. for feeling anxious. Wholly new and, and um, uh, modern uh, anxiety-inducing events, n no doubt. As we sit here on a Thursday yes. recording this program, the the news is uh, of as if we didn't as if we needed more ang anxiety in the culture. Uh, news of uh, explosive devices showing up in mailboxes, and one can only hope we can only hope that as people listen to this and are listening to it now on a Saturday afternoon, nothing further has happened with regard to that. But but it is it is it is a, a strange a strange moment. Uh, in time when, as you point out, everything that goes on is now available to us. This notion that all of our human uh, emotions are um, – obviously, they are, there's an evolutionary origin to them. They, 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 we are able to feel these things because they were survival mechanisms. And when they worked harmoniously, then we survived. So, so what are we looking at? Something that's natural and, in fact, valuable to feel anxious um, – has, has it just – we've lost control of it. Is that part of what's going on? Yes, and ironically, the whole purpose of anxiety is to help us gain control. Sharpen our, sharpen our game. Yes. Right. And, if a lion's chasing you, then you want to run fast and get to a tree or something, right? Right. And anxiety heightens all of our senses. We're ready for anything, ready for anything, but 
now we're ready for anything 24-7. It's physically exhausting. It takes a physical toll on the mind and the body. It takes a physical toll on our relationships with others. And then if you bring addiction into the mix, mm -hmm. so you go to uh, a drug or you go to alcohol to relieve the anxiety, and then you create a life that is nothing but anxiety-provoking because you're hiding and you're trying to pretend that this isn't happening or that that isn't happening, and you're leaving these leading these double lives, and it just gets worse. You know, I think it's perfectly uh, – it's, it's easy to get your mind around uh, someone who is anxious and, and, it, and it is affecting their lives, self-medicating through substance abuse. Um, but do we know whether or not, in addition to a correlation between the two things, anxiety and substance abuse, there's a causal, a causal effect? I mean, do, can anxiety cause substance abuse? So at Retreat, we work very much with the disease model of addiction. And with the disease model, it is something that is chronic, uh, that worsens over time. And that disease model is based on the idea that there is this genetic predisposition. If I do not have those genetics to become an alcoholic or an addict, I won't. That's why it's called a disorder. There are people who can drink, use drugs, and they're fine. And they don't, their lives don't fall apart. Nothing falls apart on them. Relationships are good. Work is good. Everything's okay. Even when they're doing those things to excess, they're able to at some point go, I can't do this that much anymore, modify it. So you're looking at your typical college kid. Maybe in college you do stuff to excess, but as you mature, you, you slow it down because different values come into play. Now, like hanging out with the cool kids and partying down isn't mm -hmm, the most important mm -hmm. thing. Now it's maybe your job, your family, whatever you have coming. Um, that's when we often will see the true addicts and alcoholics because they're still partying at 25, mm -hmm. 30 when the rest of their peers have moved on. Yeah, and this is misunderstood, I think, by the general population because the truth of the matter is is that with regard to abusing or, or abusing drugs or alcohol, uh, the overwhelming majority of people uh, mature out of that behavior. They, they do. But but millions do not, and they, as you point out, have a, an, a, a disease. They have a disease. They have a propensity towards this behavior. And once it gets a hold of them, they are not any longer in control. And that's certainly the case when you – Add to the mix, this toxic mix, uh, a mood disorder like anxiety. We're, we're, uh, we're with uh, Kate Ramsey. Kate is with Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Center. She's now a clinical supervisor. Her background is in drama. Um, Kate went to Yale University. We won't hold that against her. Uh, <laughs> but she went to Yale. She went to Yale Drama. Uh, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, – I know you don't do this specifically anymore, but, but you know what role play acting can have in because I can't think of a class of people who would be more prone to anxiety than actors, <laughs> or yeah. who who just have to live with it and yeah. get it to sharpen their game as well. Uh, and I, I do want to uh, I want to delve into that when we come back. I want to take a look at the propensity to it's interesting because we have these co-occurring uh, situations of anxiety and substance abuse and uh, women. And this is really interesting. We'll get into it in the next episode. Women are more prone towards anxiety disorders, um, but not automatically uh, abusing substances as a result, while men who are also subject to anxiety 
are more likely to self-medicate or wind up using um, substances in regards to anxiety. And that's fascinating to think about. Kate Ramsey is our guest on Recovery Radio. We're taking a look at anxiety because, well, let's face it, it's an anxious world out there, friends. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Our guest on Recovery Radio this week, Kate Ramsey. As I said at the beginning, Kate's a longtime contributor to the program. She's also been a substitute host for us several times. We appreciate all that. She is now clinical, a clinical supervisor here at Retreat, and she joins us to talk about anxiety and uh, substance abuse and what the relationship between those two things are. Kate, before we took the break, I mentioned the differences. There are some, probably more than a few, between the way men deal with anxiety and the way women deal with anxiety. In in your experience as a clinician and your experience as a woman, (laughs) are women under different or special circumstances that might make them more susceptible to anxiety disorders than men? So I can only speak to this from my own experience as a clinician and as a woman. Um, What I see when I'm working with, uh, we have up to 175 patients at any given time. What I see is that men appear to be struggling with anxiety in the same numbers as women. But where a woman, a female patient, I'm more likely to see it showing up on the outside than communicating to me, I feel so anxious today, I feel sick to my stomach, I don't know what to do, I don't know what's going on. Men tend to, in my observations, become quieter. So if I look at a male patient who may be struggling with anxiety, what I may see is a quiet man sitting in a chair. And I think that based on these observations, I think both men and women are struggling because when we do talk about it, then it starts to come out and the men will share, I feel anxious all the time. Mm -hmm. But they're less likely to communicate it or to show it in their body language. And because of roles assigned by society, uh, it manifests itself differently. Yeah. Women, I th- my, my experience of observing it is that is that women are uh, more able to exhibit, or unfortunately able to exhibit a behavior that's clearly anxious. The, the, you know, I don't look pretty enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I don't belong to the right groups, and and they can express it. It's 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 allowed, and men, as you say, can grow withdrawn. They can also become angry. Yes, and violent. Uh, and it's and it's coming out of not a place of pure anger, but of anxiety, of fear. Absolutely. I definitely see anxiety. And it is more so, again, with the patients I have worked with, I will see men turn to anger more often and women turn to self-harm more often. But that's starting to mix up as well because we learn from other human beings and the men are learning from the women and the women are learning from the men and it's becoming less clear which gender does what but we do see with both men and women a lot of the anger outbursts are anxiety this is definitely true with children where anxiety and depression will manifest as anger if you have a chronically angry child who is acting out they are probably anxious and or depressed you know as 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 unfortunate and as uh, difficult as it is to observe or or 
or suffer from these uh, mood disorders as an adult, it's particularly poignant when we see it in children. Is there anything more um, upsetting than a depressed child, a toddler, or an anxious child? And anxiety among young people is very uh, significant, isn't it? Absolutely. I remember when 9-11 was taking place and post 9-11 in those first months following, young children were seeing these images over and over and didn't know that it was the same image being repeated. So we learned that these young children thought there were multiple buildings day after day after day being uh, blown to the ground. I think what's important, it it's not so much as I see it, it's not so much sad as it is a warning sign. These kids, because they don't have the words to put to it, mm. their behaviors are telling us, that's them saying, I need help. Help is going to look different for every single child, for every single adult. But when we see people with these ongoing behaviors that you know, anger is good if you got to fight off a bear. Anger when you're socking your second grade teacher because she asked for your homework, not so good. When they become maladaptive, what are we doing to give them adaptive skills to cope with the stressors that they are absolutely dealing with? I mean, I'll never forget my son in first grade came home and his assignment was to complete a resume. I'm like, hold up now first grade. And I do think that's why we're seeing more young people engaged in heavier and harder drugs. Yeah. Well, from, a, uh, from a clinical standpoint, from your observation of people, what should parents be looking for with regard to anxiety in their children? And I mean, is it, can you start looking for that too early? Does it manifest itself early enough that you could see it? I think the most important thing is to be communicating with your child with whatever you see emotions are not pathological <laughs> emotions mm. are there to help us so if you have a child that is angry be with them you don't even have to say anything and sometimes anybody who's a parent knows it's better not to but make yourself available to reach out. Say, I see that you're angry. Is, I'm here. Is it also uh, wise to not – and it's difficult, but is it uh, also not wise to sometimes as a parent not try to solve a problem? I mean, you jump right in there going, I'm going to make my kid not anxious. And it probably heightens the anxiety, right? And this – absolutely. This is something that parents and clinicians struggle with. We want to fix it when what our real job is is to help the person learn to fix it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And yes, if I as a clinician – or a parent say, oh, my gosh, you seem really anxious. How are you handling this anxiety? How are you even alive right now? We can't let this happen. We must stop this right now. Yes. We cause that person to panic and go, wow, if my parent or my counselor is scared of my behaviors, it must be bad. Kate Ramsey with us. We're talking about the, the general topic of anxiety since we, we are in a, a prime moment for, for a lot of anxious uh, events in our lives. It has now risen to a significant level, along with the substance abuse piece, uh, that it is identified as a serious problem among millions of people, anxiety, and uh, its relationship to substance abuse. We're going to get into a little deeper on how that's treated in, in a place like retreat. 
This is Recovery Radio. We have more. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We're going to continue our discussion with Kate Ramsey about uh, dealing and treating anxiety, both generally but in specifically with regard to uh, substance abuse straight ahead. But first, I want to remind you that the freight here is being paid. Uh, every week by recovery radio, I mean by by retreat from your addiction treatment centers. They have been our partners in this program for uh, several years now, and I couldn't ask for better people involved in this. And I'll tell you why very very quickly. Because Peter Shore, who the, uh, who founded uh, Retreat and is now the CEO, immediately immediately uh, bought into my, the idea that you know, thanks for sponsoring it, but it ought not to be just an infomercial. And, and Peter would have come to that conclusion, I think, without me having even mentioned it, because that's the, that's the simple truth. I could sit here for an hour and tell you how great their people are and how they've helped loads and loads of people. Um, but that's not what this program is about. So when I give you their phone number, it, it is as an informational tool. Any questions you have about treatment you're getting now, treatment you want to get because they're justifiably proud in what they can do. They've helped lots of people. Uh, you call the number and you'll get you'll a person will answer the phone. Your questions will be answered and you can move on from there. Um, here's something I say every week. I want to give you the phone number. I sincerely and I know Peter believes this, too. Um, you never have to use this phone number. But in a situation where somebody's struggling with either mood disorders or substance abuse issues or both, um, knowing where to turn in a crunch can be uh, critical. So here's the phone number for Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, 855-859-8808. Again, 855-859-8808, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. From that organization uh, and in the studio with us is Kate Ramsey. Kate is a clinical supervisor for Retreat She's here today to talk to us about uh, anxiety and substance abuse. Um, so, Kate, let's talk about how, how we, how, how you go about uh, treating something like this. First of all, explain to people who might not know what a co-occurring situation is. So co-occurring is when a person has two or more disorders that are happening at the same time. And a disorder is really... It's a human behavior that becomes the only way we respond to an event and we can't get out of it. That's when it becomes a disorder because our lives are impacted because no matter what is going on, we feel anxious or we feel depressed or we have to drink and there's no other choice about it. Um, so co-occurring disorders are when we have mental health symptoms along with addiction or alcoholism. And, uh, and anxiety would be a prime example of a co-occurring. Absolutely. And anxiety frequently is paired with depression. It's unusual that you will see one without the other. We, it, uh, certainly. Um, but I'll, I'll ask the dumb, the dumb question that's what I'm paid to do. Someone who's abusing substances has every right to be anxious, don't they? What's, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? <laughs> No, I, you know, it's it becomes so complex when you bring into the picture substance abuse because some of the primary medications for treating anxiety are addictive medications. So here you have someone who's struggling with anxiety. They get placed on a medication, benzodiazepines, benzos, uh, that is addictive in and of itself. They're trying to manage their anxiety with an addictive 
uh, medication, suddenly now they've got full-blown addiction, can't get off the benzos, still have anxiety. It's getting worse because the addiction's getting worse. So I'm going to take more benzos, and it just cycles. And that's why so often an intervention needs to happen where, uh, you know, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, somebody comes in and helps this person redirect their life. Let's, let's spend a moment, in, uh, since we're talking about treating anxiety in the context of substance abuse, and talk about that medically assisted treatment, which now is uh, being th- talked about more and more, particularly in the opioid epidemic. Um, they're, they're using drugs to, to, to fight that problem. Uh, that's a growing trend. With regard to anxiety, yes, you can go in, talk to your family physician, and if he recommends you to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they talk to you about well, maybe you need some psychotropic drugs. Maybe maybe Zoloft or something would help you. Should that be the first place someone goes when dealing with anxiety? The first place someone goes? I do. In in my training, you always rule out actual medical issues first. So yes, anytime you're struggling with anything, start with the doctor, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the the general practitioner. And then work your way through because there are oftentimes where uh, a physical disorder is manifesting as a mental health disorder. All right, if you have uh, you know something pressing on the brain, or you have an elevated heartbeat, so you're always feeling like you're about to have mm-hmm. a panic attack, but it's actually something that needs to be treated by a general practitioner. That's yeah, well, that's another whole topic that we get into yeah. some other point about what, what, you know general practitioners and whether they're asking the right question because people are not are are, un, are sort of reluctant to go to the doctor and the doctor, what's wrong, and you go, I'm feeling anxious. I don't think people do that. For me, as a clinician, what I expect when I'm working with a psychiatrist who is prescribing medications is that they spend time with that patient. And this is what I encourage people to look for who are listening to this program. Uh, You want someone who's going to sit down with you, ask you, what is going on in your life? Tell me about your relationships. What kind of stressors do you have? Are you looking forward to anything coming up? Like they need to dig in before they even begin to talk about what you might be struggling with and ways of treating it with medicines. Yeah. Um, the other the other aspect that occurs when it's, for instance, in a family context with regard to this. If someone is forthcoming and you notice or they even say that they're feeling anxious or depressed, very often the, the family member or the friend will go, what, why would you be depressed? What's wrong? You've got so much going on for you. Why do we do that? Why you know, it's it's like looking at somebody, you know, I can look at you, Steve, you're successful, uh, excellent radio show host and go, why do you have a cold? You're so successful. Why are you sneezing? They're not related. Mm-hmm. I can be anxious the same way I can have, you know, the flu. It's just something that happens. Yeah, to it scares people. us, though, doesn't it? Because if you could get the flu, then I could get the flu. Yeah. And the thing is, as we know, we, especially here in America, we can recover from the flu. Mm -hmm. Anxiety makes us anxious. And the truth is, it's going to go away if you're willing to feel uncomfortable. We get so frightened by feeling uncomfortable and feeling anxious that 
we will do anything. And that's where we run to the medications. Right. And honestly, there are so many things in addition to medications that can help a person stabilize. Let's talk about a couple of those things that are non-medical or non-medicinal that that can help treat uh, anxiety. So I come from the clinical perspective, not the medical perspective as a therapist. And with anxiety, when we're working with our patients at retreat, first and foremost, we take all media away. And you would be amazed what an impact that has on a person's anxiety. You mean cell phones and screens? Cell phones and screens. We tend to dive into things that create more anxiety. Even the speed at which stuff is coming at us on media creates anxiety. If you're a person struggling with anxiety, turn your TV off. Put your phone away. Stop drinking that coffee. Listen, if you've got anxiety and you're sucking down coffee, it's adding fuel to that fire. Um, you really need to be aware of what things in my environment can I change right now that will make it a more calming environment. Does, medita- does meditation work in this context? What's wonderful about meditation in this context is that it actually builds tolerance for discomfort. A lot of people think that meditation is about sitting and not having a thought in your head. Right. Meditation is really about sitting and allowing the thoughts that come to come and go and you come back to your breath so that a thought can drop in. I'm so anxious. I have a test tomorrow. And you can let it go as Mm. opposed to holding on to it. You know, as much as I have read about meditation and um, I think I understand the underlying premise about quieting. Uh, the mind. I, I have never been able to figure that part out. How do you? How can you possibly <laughs> shut out all the the the, vo- the voices and the noise? Essentially, you don't want to shut it out. You want to welcome it in, and then release it. Um, it's like exposure therapy. If if I'm afraid of spiders, okay. So this is another kind of anxiety. And I do exposure therapy. Maybe it starts by just talking about spiders. Then the next session, I look at a picture. Then the next session, they have one outside the door. Then they bring it in. I get used to it. Yeah. It's a process of demystifying it. Right. When we allow our thoughts to come and don't freak out and run from them, we get more comfortable with them. And we realize just because I have a thought, and I always use the example, and maybe this is just me, but... Most of us at some point or another have that thought of, oh, my gosh, I just want to kill that person right now. We don't do it. Just because we have thoughts doesn't mean we act on them. Mm-hmm. But we get panicked and, and we just create worse and worse situations for ourselves because we're so afraid of what's going on in our own heads. In a, in a, uh, in a treatment setting, um, is there quiet, are there moments of deliberate quietness or meditation? Um, We have, we at Retreat offer a number of holistics that address this specifically. Uh, Meditation, yoga, pain management, which is like a guided meditation. Chanting, which is another form of, it's almost prayer-like, ways to find quiet in the chaos. Um, 
it's really important to find these places for yourself, even if your life is absolutely chaotic. You know, for me, my whole goal is to finish one cup of coffee without moving from my seat once a day. <laughs> if I do that, I'm like, woohoo, victory. You, you can't take the little things too, uh, you can't take them too seriously because they're very important because most of us don't have time to go and sit for an hour with our legs crossed. But we do need to take those moments throughout the day where we take three deep breaths. It's just very important stuff. Dealing with anxiety, that's what we're talking about here on Recovery Radio. We'll be back. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We want to thank uh, uh, Kate Ramsey. Kate uh, is with us very often in her role as a uh, a clinician here at Retreat talking about how she uh, she treats patients uh, with substance abuse disorders. And today she's joined us to talk about anxiety as a factor in this whole thing. Uh, Kate, is, uh, Kate is now a clinical supervisor at Retreat, so we thank her for her time. We know she's very busy. All right, Kate, let's get back to this this uh, thing about meditation and quieting the, uh, the mind and all that. And I, I hear that, and it's perfectly uh, – it makes a certain amount of sense. And then – the other side of my head goes, get out. How in the world? This woman saying deep, breathe deep, the gathering gloom. What do we, how does that work? You know, I, I was thinking about this as I was saying it. I'm like, there's going to be people out there who are going, listen, lady. You have I'm, no idea how crazy my life is. You right? don't know. And I'm having panic attacks. I'm having all of these ongoing issues. Breathing slow is not going to change anything. And I would say to them, you're right. In and of itself, that's not going to be the solution. But we always, we're in this age where we need a solution and it better be quick. The thing with recovering from any sort of disorder um, is that you're willing to take the time to do what needs to be done to heal. So it can be a combination of medications, diet, exercise, meditation, all of these should be part of your healing. We understand it with cancer and other serious diseases. We understand that if I am going through chemo, I'm not going to be functioning the same way I would when I was whole and healthy, and I need to take the time to heal. It's really important with anxiety, with addiction, to take that time. I was just having this discussion with a patient this morning. It may be a year before you're really feeling like, hey, I like the choices in front of me. At first, it's just not a lot of fun. You're practicing hard and you're not getting very far. And then it starts to kick in. And people, I also bring up the idea of practicing a violin. Like, you can say all day, I want to be good at violin. But if you just look at the thing sitting there, you're not going to be good. You have to pick it up and learn. And you got to put the 10,000 hours in. Yes. Uh, let, let's, let, let's deal with specifically with something like a panic attack. You're sitting at your desk at work. There's no apparent reason for the anxiety to well up in you. In other words, your boss hasn't put pressure on you or, you know, there's no, there's no, it's a free floating thing and it comes up, but, but you feel overheated. You begin to perspire. You, you, you think you can't breathe. What's the recommendation in that instance right there? What, what would you recommend someone do? So one of the best things you can do is check in with your five senses. Your impulse is going to be to run, to panic more because something horrible is happening. I can't stay here. I've got to get out of here. Realize that you absolutely can. There is no reason why you have to get out. Your body may be screaming at you to run, but you actually can. 
and then realize, look with your eyes, take in five things with your eyes, feel, feel the chair you're sitting in, feel the floor under your feet, take in four things, then, you know, taste what can you taste in your leftover coffee if it's me? Um, you know, all these different things. What do you smell? And take in your environment. Typically when people start to go into panic attacks, I see them curl inward and bring their eyes down. Lift your head up, look at your environment, and recognize that you are safe. Does it help to breathe into a bag? I mean, that's the cliche, you breathe into the bag. You know, I think, I don't know scientifically, but I do know that breathing slowly, what happens with breathing slowly and deeply is that your body responds to that. The body goes, oh, wait a minute. Oh, are we breathing slow? I guess everything's okay Everything's then. all right. And so the heartbeat starts to go down and everything starts to slow down. That's why the slow breathing is such a big deal. It seems so basic and yet it sends the signals to the rest of the body to slow down. Yeah. Everything's okay. And the first move is to recognize what's happening and not let it over. Okay, I'm feeling anxious. And then, and then work from there. So we got a couple of minutes left here now. Let, let, let's, let's kind of look at this, the way we look at substance abuse in general, and that is that it is not one thing that will handle this or, or two methods, but a, but a, a, a spectrum of, of efforts. So tell, just wrap that up with regard to anxiety. So, you know, we learn these things young. We've talked about children. We become anxious. Our parents become anxious. We get more anxious. We get worried. Nothing gets fixed. We don't know what to do. We spend a lot of years building to a point where anxiety is the only way we deal with things. So now we have to take the time to listen to our doctors, find people that we want to work with, find therapists that we feel we can communicate with, share our anxieties, practice the skills that are needed to keep ourselves calm in our own skin, trust that we have inside us what we need to heal, and be, be persistent in achieving the goal of overcoming anxiety. It's you learned a bad habit. Now you've got to learn new ways to cope. Yeah. Just like with addiction. Un un unlearn all that uh, all that bad behavior. Uh, you you will you know this. We've heard it before many times here. You change the way you think about something and your behavior will probably follow. And that's, I mean, you're looking at, there's a myriad of different therapies, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, uh, acceptance commitment therapy. These are all types of therapies that really are successful with dealing with anxiety, whether it's changing the thought or accepting the thought and moving towards your values or finding between two very different thoughts, I want to drink, I don't ever want to drink again, what you need most. Using these different kinds of therapies is very helpful. Kate Ramsey, thanks so much, Kate. Uh, it's always uh, delightful to talk to you. The last time we were together, it was at the Fall Festival up here. And I swear to you, I, you're an actress by training. I did not recognize you in your gypsy outfit. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, it's I went, oh, look, someone invited a, a gypsy woman here to the thing. That's always so much fun. I finally get to do something I actually know how to do. No, you, you know <laughs> how to do a lot kidding. of stuff, but you made a great gypsy. I can tell well, you that. thank you. Kate Ramsey on Recovery Radio. Thank you, Kate. Okay. Uh, thank you all for your time as well. And, and don't forget us here on Saturday's Recovery Radio. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Bye-bye. 
This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.